0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Practically Political. Great to have you here. I'm Dave Spencer.
1: And I'm Carrie Sheffield, and we're glad to have you here. And we're also glad for a very special guest, Mr. Alexander Hefner. Uh, welcome to Practically Political.
2: Thanks for having me, Carrie and Dave.
1: So our uh, viewers and listeners know uh, he's the host on PBS of The Open Mind and a wonderful new show called Breaking Bread on Bloomberg TV Uh, Alexander, just tell us a little bit about this new show because it's just launched and we wanna let our audience know about it.
2: Well, thank you, Carrie, and thank you, Dave, again. Um, The idea of the program, really the genesis of it was this fantasy I had in my mind of an amazing race to national morale, to sustained legislative victories that we can be proud of as a country. So we know that the reality TV culture has been seeping into our bloodstreams for you know God knows how many decades we 've been amusing ourselves as the NYU media critic Neil Postman would say to death uh, as opposed to amusing our democracy to sustenance to life and um, we we didn 't have the budget to produce yet the kind of program where you 're waking up with Senator Murkowski and Senator Kelly, a Republican a Democrat from disparate states and having their morning coffee or tea or whatever with them, seeing their families and their colleagues interact with them and brand a particular message and mission of, we're going to work on immigration reform. We're going to work on tax policy and live days in the lives of these legislators to ultimately produce some kind of bipartisan legislation. We could not facilitate that. But as a baby step to that, I thought, well, can we have, you know, basically decorum in the form of meals with each other in some of the favorite hospitality venues of these electeds from their childhood, from their adulthood, from their political lives or what came before. And so the baby step to the amazing race is breaking bread. But if you think of it as deliberative democracy, it's not a baby step. It's really the necessary ingredients to Facilitating, forging consensus, compromise, and ultimately better outcomes—I think—from a public policy perspective. So, what you can find on Bloomberg TV are meals with politicians. I temp- was tempted to name the show in the spirit of the Hulu series um, in the building. You know, basically having meals with politicians, but ultimately, Breaking Bread sounded um, a little bit more aspirational and patriotic. Um, Than something in the building with politicians.
1: Um, (laughs) A little bit of a Breaking Bad also, so you got that.
2: Yeah, right. We're we're kind of at the confluence of of Breaking Bad, comedians in cars, getting coffee, um, only murders in the building. Um, But ultimately, I think it created a, a fun and vivacious environment in which these electeds cooled off, disarmed from the heat, Surrounding them and had a had a, a blueprint for discussion that was different from CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, because you know, it's not just the ideologically rigged media that I know all of us are concerned with at times, if not all the time. Um, it, it, CNN and and the kind of impartial, objective news folks, in my mind, they and a lot of their brethren in the print media are not necessarily concerned with the incentives of shaping a discourse that is going to forge that kind of bridge building and peacemaking. So I don't think that, in a sense, CNN's motivations are any different from an MSNBC or a Fox News.
0: No, I I would totally agree. In fact, CNN, as you may notice, which I like, since Zucker has been relieved of his job, they've tried to go back and be a little more like the old CNN, where they have international broadcasters at night giving the news. I don't watch a lot of late night TV, but I happened to tr- turn in—I don't know—I was up for some reason at one or two in the morning. I turned it on, and I liked it. It reminded me of the old CNN. The bad news is that unfortunately, it's terrible for ratings because most people don't want that. In fact, most people watch TV because they want their views confirmed, right? Not not disputed. And even though. And look, MSNBC doesn't outright lie the way Fox News does, but they do give you the side of the story that they want you to, to get. So you can hardly call it objective journalism for sure. So I except but, when
2: Kerry is on Fox News.
0: <laughs> well, I think that look, there's there are good people on each of the networks yeah, for sure,
2: yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, and they have and they have good guests. But you know, I think the the ethos is let's you know let's give our Customers the meat or the grist that they that they want and and just going back to a point you made before and that is that you know you can't work with someone you can't have a legitimate partner if you don't trust them if you don't know them so this is the stuff that Congress used to do all the time you know people would room together they would have meals together they would do more than just play an annual baseball game at Nat Stadium they there was a lot of right. interaction and that made it much easier. To get things done, and sure enough, you look at the Senate in 1980, and there were 60 senators that were considered people who would walk across the line. Now, how many are there? Maybe three. I mean, five if you want to be if you want to stretch it. It's it's really a terrible thing. So I hope there's going to be a lot more of at least just the talking and the hey, I, even if we don't have to talk politics, let me just get to know you a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, well, and I like, uh, I think the Bloomberg venue is very interesting. Uh, so I've been going on quite a bit for their DC program uh, called Balance of Power. And I respect that Bloomberg, you know, they always have a Democrat and myself together and then the two anchors in the middle. And I respect, I think they do a good job of of allowing both of our sides to be heard And there's not the screaming and the food fights and uh i think news nation is doing some interesting things on that front also um i think fox actually does a good job on that too i think they're they're doing more of that bipartisanship but i guess my question for you alexander is so again as i think the most conservative person on this panel uh (laughs) so i agree with you on a human level we should definitely be connecting with each other and humanizing each other so i love what you're doing with, with the show but when it comes to kind of the description that dave gave like I, I think you know some conservatives might say that sounds like a chalkboard scratch in the sense of like well that's just backroom deals you know coming together backslapping that's just growing government even more and it reminded me of a speech that george will gave at brigham young university which you know he's no fan of you know trump populism but but it was an interesting speech and it was i think it was pre-trump even and he said if compromise is you know, I don't want to spend anything that's zero, and i'm a, I want to spend a hundred and if the compromise is always fifty, that's in the middle, you're always going to be spending something, so therefore you will always be losing as a conservative. So how does a conservative ever win in the sense of like let's let's not grow government, let's have fewer regulations and so consensus isn't necessarily something that conservatives, just by their very desire to slow or, like, have more freedom, um, you're always bound to be Charlie Brown with Lucy and the football, right? I appreciate
2: what you're saying in in the fiscal realm. Um, You know, it's it's a fair point to make, uh, what you're citing from Will. To Dave's point, you know, these kinds of backyard barbecues in which Republicans and Democrats used to interact, from what I understand, they don't occur anymore. So there's always going to be an annual reconciliation of the budget, Uh, and there might be multiple reconciliations over the course of a year where you have to roll your sleeves up and dig deep and ultimately prioritize what you're going to spend on. One of the things I point out, Kerry, in the episode with Governor Lujan Grisham is that when we pay our taxes each year, and to my mind, that's actually maybe more of a universal Form of our citizenship than voting. I, I, I really do wonder: do more of us pay taxes than vote? I, probably. That's
0: not. Um, well, I think it but, should be like a, like Australia. I think you should get fined twenty dollars if you don't vote. But that's another conversation. Go ahead.
2: And no, but and that's a that's a fair point. And a fine, I think, would would be probably the better choice of discipline, both for not paying taxes and for not voting. In any event, in this episode, I think you'd appreciate this, Carrie, with Governor Luhan Grisham. I said, "Well, to her, the the normal reaction of a lot of folks when they pay their taxes is they just want to thank you, and more to the point, not only do we deny them a a thank you, an emoji, some kind of an, you know poem, you know, some something to make them feel happy about their country and services that they're paying into." We don't lay out the expenditures. Uh, someone was recently telling me when I when they watched the episode with Governor Lujan Grisham that Senator Coburn um, had proposed some advanced transparency that was was basically the foundation of this kind of an app where you could, you know, log on um, and see the discretionary expenditures at the municipal, state, and federal level instantly. And, you know, along with the thank you that the government's giving you in response to paying your taxes each year, there is a pie chart illustrating what the expenditures are devoted to. And then further, in the spirit of your point, Carrie, about participatory democracy and populism, there is a mechanism to then launch a petition. Uh, launch a town hall, be it virtual or in person, um, but have a real way to channel your energy that's not mean tweets or X's or whatever they're being called now, um, or just defamatory uh, commentary, um, you know, ad hominem attacks, the stuff that we know that to date a lot of the, the political hate has degenerated into. So I'm all with you, Carrie. I think that we should not think of participatory democracy as uh, some kind of alien or scientific concept. That's how, in reality, the folks who attend political r- rallies can govern their municipality and their country ultimately. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't think that's a that's a liberal or conservative notion. Uh, it could be considered a populist notion or a Republican or Democratic notion, small d, small r, in terms of your own involvement in making the decisions about where money gets spent. You know, and when I proposed that to Governor Luhan Grisham and she said, yeah, when New Mexicans file their taxes or when any Americans file their taxes, they, they ought to get this. They ought to get a thank you and they ought to see what they're spending into the system and what they're getting out of it.
0: Well, and I, and I would say too, you know, I'm not sure what era Carrie is referring to when she talks about all these conservatives that want to reduce spending because you look over the last 50 years, and when did spending, the deficit, and government employment go up? You guessed it, during Republican administrations. You know, so I, I I'm not, you know, I, my theory is all politicians like government spending. The Democrats just admit it. Yeah. But, but I do think this lack of even basic engagement has been a contributing factor in, if you look at you know, the basic stuff. Okay. There's the Congress has to pass a budget every year, right? There's 12 resolutions that have to get passed. This is the stuff that, you know, people like David Obie of Wisconsin and these old guys who ran the budget committee for seemingly decades said, look, we have a job to do that we need to do. Then we can talk about the other stuff. And they're not even doing the job that they need to do now. I can't remember the last time that maybe you folks can help me out on this, that the Resolutions have been passed on time, so to me, it's just it's it's just basic human interaction. It's very hard to work with people if you don't know them, and you innately mistrust them, and every piece of information you're hearing within your echo chamber is reinforcing that. So I think it's it's kind of a combination of all these wrong things happening at the right time that has created this this. Uh, just level of dysfunction that really worries me because I, to be candid, I think our nation has never needed a system, has never needed stronger ideas, stronger leadership, and more creative politics. And I think our system has never been less able to provide them. And that is usually. Absolutely. I'm not writing the US off. People have written the US off many times and we've come back, but it's certainly a major red flag. Absolutely, and Carrie knows me. I'm a glass that's half full person, so for me <laughs> to say that is, uh, I must. It must be pretty serious on my mind.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I I love that idea, Alexander. With the letting people know what your what your money is going to, absolutely. And I I think it's interesting too hearing from you know when someone, let's say, they just graduate from college or just finish high school, and then they might be super progressive, and then they get their first paycheck and they see how much of it is going to taxes. Um, and a lot of times they kind of sober up, but I think taking that a step even further uh, and letting them see what the money's going to, I think a lot of people uh, might uh, wake up even more. So, but, and Dave, I, I agree with you, but I think that's the whole point of a lot of the conservative base. They would agree with you. They would call them rhinos. The people who made all those deals that you're talking about, they would call them rhinos. And then also when uh, Bill Clinton got his balanced budget, that was in large part because of Republican Congress that was forcing that discipline on him. But,
0: Well, yeah, when there's a Democrat in the White House, then conservatives are all in on reducing spending. It's just when there's a Republican in the White House that it's not quite all of a sudden that that enthusiasm, that passion just seems to dim a little bit for some reason. It's a mystery I'll take to my deathbed. We
2: don't hear dinos spoken of on yes, really
1: <laughs>
0: <Where is> that,
2: <laughs> <Carrie>?
1: <laughs> I, I think because Democrats are more disciplined uh, and as Dave said uh, you know they're at least open about admitting they like to spend so uh, you are always spending at the end of the day so if you're Democrat you're supposed to like spending it's just a question of how much but uh,
0: well but again deficits of the Barack Obama, his first administration, slowest increase in spending since the uh, since Eisenhower. Clinton, yes, it was with the Republicans, but we, we had a, we had a balanced budget. So, uh, you know, it, again, I it's not just the members of Congress; it's the people, it's the presidents themselves. Whether it's you know big government conservative from conservatism from George W. Bush, or Trump going totally off the rails. Um, I mean, Reagan at least tried, you know, he vetoed 22 spending bills and he tried to get spending under control. He gave up in the end, but at least he tried. There was none of that from W or Trump. Yeah.
1: Well, Alexander, as you can see, Dave and I have spirited debates. But I wanted to ask you about the show. Uh, Walk us through like what's happening. So it's been released or all the episodes released. What's your timeline? And what's, are you going to have a second season and what kind of responses have you been getting? Um, Is it what you hoped for and any surprises?
2: It's what I've hoped for in just the act of doing it, which, which is always, you know, when you accomplish a project that you think in and of itself is merits existence uh, because there's nothing like it. Uh, To me, that was an accomplishment in this media climate. Um, We are building out a second season The first season you asked about is continuing to air on Bloomberg and on Bloomberg.com And we will be premiering an on-demand home for the content soon Right now it's been on individual time slots on Bloomberg But soon you will be able to have access to all ten episodes of the first season And they span from the Dakotas, South and North To Maine and North Carolina and West Virginia to, To Utah um, your native land, Carrie, uh, or once native land, uh, depending upon how you think of it these days. Um, in any event, I think that there's an opportunity for the second season to drive this beyond entertainment value. So I think that there's entertainment value in having meals with politicians and learning about their history from Doug Burgum's grandparents operating the first ever elevator grain. You know in the dakotas and around the country um you know when they were distributing mill and taking you know they built the first one to send on that mill across the country via train um and uh whether you know or talking about governor mills and her you know near-death experience with scoliosis and being paralyzed as a child and for multiple surgeries having to overcome and then seeing her husband with his own medical concerns, um, sadly passed, but have to and have to go through a lot of the same puzzle of the American healthcare system, and that's as an elected office holder, um, a governor today, but but prior to that, an attorney general, um, and you know things that that people are united on. Um, I think a lot of folks are united on the idea that the opioid epidemic or pandemic, whatever you want to call it, is a net negative. Uh, and most people would rally around the idea of clean water and clean air being a net positive. Um, so there were principles espoused from Governor Stitt in Oklahoma to Governor Mills in, in Maine that are some points not of contention but of unity and how we spearhead those and leverage the political capital and goodwill to materialize some kind of landmark reforms, um, you know, that's an open question. But I think our season two, with participants like Senator Kelly of Arizona and Senator Murkowski of Alaska, two heavyweights in the Senate, um, you know that there's an opportunity not only to premiere a second season, uh, but alongside it, provide a platform for a proposed landmark piece of legislation, whether that's on tax reform, like I said earlier, more healthcare reform. And and the question really is, Carrie and Dave, can that be framed in a way that is ultimately pitched neutrally? It's not pitched as a liberal solution or a conservative solution. It's pitched as common sense, as bettering the union, if not perfecting the union, and increasing the Livelihood, the the life, liberty, and happiness of our people. Because I go back to those founding documents, however imperfect the conditions of the country were at the time, and they were imperfect, the aspirations of those documents um, were as perfect as you can get in literature, right? The aspiration of it. And why can't we, on most issues, even with the difference on some of the the, the hot button so-called hot button social issues of the day why isn't there enough commonality and camaraderie that we can uh, pave the way for successful governance in most areas of, of life and so that's a, that ultimately is a is a moral values question and a question of whether we can be malleable and moral at the same time and uh, and you know I think we can be I mean I think the first ten episodes of the series prove the capacity of people to talk about shared values, and now it's acting on those shared values and that's what I would hope to accomplish in a second season
0: yeah it, it it might be fun let's say if there's some legislation that has been stalled or that people are trying to get off the ground or whatever, inviting the people who are the most likely to be spearheading that to have to have a dinner and then who knows i mean yeah exactly that could be the genesis of some real legislation but i guess my question for you because i know we're running out of time but i wanted to ask what it what has been sort of the most unexpected or biggest surprise or thing that you've learned or have experienced on your on your show well on
2: a personal culinary note and i think i shared this with carry over text um, that i would fall in love with thai food in salt lake city <laughs> um, I mean, just a gem of a restaurant, Sarah Thai restaurant in Salt Lake, fantastic food, you know, just a plateful of of delicious vegetables and fish and pork. Um, and it was at the suggestion of Governor Cox, uh, whose friend had texted him some months earlier and said, you know, I've had Thai in Thailand and everywhere else. And this is the best Thai I've had. And Um, That was a credible statement. Uh, So, you know, there was that. um, There are little nuggets of information that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And I shouldn't call them nuggets. I mean, I asked Governor Cooper of North Carolina a question that could be asked of any senator or governor. But in most states in our union, we pay more per prisoner than per pupil. And to Carrie's point, maybe we don't have to pay as much as we do in some school districts for outcomes that are better. I know in private schools that are in doubt, in charter schools that might be in doubt, there's a lot of money going towards those kids and those teachers. So I, I think that we do need to support um, edu- educators broadly. Uh, what does it say about our country that we're paying more into the system of privatization of prisons and more per bed in a, in a prison than uh, for a kid in a, in a pre-K or a ninth grade classroom. I think that's problematic. Those are the type of questions I'm asking. That's not a political, politicized, or partisan question, I would think, right? I mean, I think you both would probably concur. Uh, it's not an ideologically rigged question in any way, except maybe, to Carrie's point, if you're correlating the price spent per pupil on the efficacy of that education. I think to some degree that that is a correlation that's in fact – Um, But another piece is is to go back to the prison industrial complex, which is a term that I hear now from conservatives as much as liberals, is um, Governor Stitt recognizing in his first term in in office that um, Oklahoma per capita was the most carceral state in the union and that he wanted to change that and embarked on that with some significant reforms in his home state. Uh, So, you know, you can you're going to be surprised and delighted. And I think in most respects about the aspiration of of achieving that better union, that more perfect union in this series. And you're going to see a lot of fun food. The episode that aired this past week with Senator Capito, um, just some amazing pancakes drenched in syrup in West Virginia At the cathedral cafe um i am not one for whole wheat pancakes and they happen to just make them whole wheat pancakes at the cathedral cafe and they were they were excellent um and did not taste like whole wheat pancakes that i'm used to having they tasted like real pancakes
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's so great well Next time you go to Utah, I think I told you, you need to go to my cousin's Thai restaurant. Her husband is from Thailand. So hopefully they can ride. And on that
2: one, judging by the Thai, is just at the same caliber, especially if it's in the family with you, Carrie. The question now is um, McFlurry or Blizzard?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, McFlurry, for sure. Well, and I will McFlurry. say, if you want to try some <laughs> quinoa pancakes, that blew my mind. I was, was excited to pancakes. be. Garbage like some sort of vegan thing. It was amazing. So come to Virginia, and I will take you oh, to the keema.
2: Sounds great. That sounds great. Thank you for the invite, and and Dave, I, I hope to see you soon too. Uh, it's a pleasure to get to know you, Dave, on the show, and Carrie to see you again on the show.
0: Absolutely, it's been it's been uh, really great to have you all, Alexander. I wish you the best of luck with your. Uh, Second season, and uh, I really think you're on to something. We we need we need more of uh, we need more bread breaking uh, in uh, in in U.S. politics for sure. So it's been great to have you on the show. It's been great to have all of you join us once again for another episode of Practically Political. As always, I'm Dave Spencer,
1: and I'm Carrie Sheffield. It's a pleasure. We'll catch you guys next time.